This couldn't possibly fail. <laughs> that's the opening for the episode now. No, that's ex- that's what the Warner Brothers executive said <laughs> oh. when they greenlit this film. Oh no! That's it right there. Who's that? You must be new. That is Bruce Wayne. Mr. Wayne, Clark Kent, Daily Planet. What's your position on the Bat Vigilante in Gotham? Uh, hello, welcome back to another episode of the Waffle Press Movie Retrospective. I'm your host, Diego Crespo. With me today is Matt Garingo. I'm Matt Garingo. I, yes. Uh, what You know what we're here to talk about today, Matt? The meaninglessness of existence? <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, actually... Possibly the conversation might go there, but we're here continuing our Batman film series retrospective. Been going actually remarkably well, uh, I, I would say. I even said on another podcast I guessed it on, uh, Stark Contrast over at Movie Fail. Uh, go check them out. They're wonderful people. Uh, Esther Rosen, Rosenfield, and Soren Howe. Uh, they had me on to talk about Game of Thrones, but I had off the cuff mentioned that we were doing the Batman retrospective. And I was saying that most of the Batman films aren't great. And I think I spoke out of turn there. Because looking back, even if the films are flawed, each of them have their own like issues, more or less. Uh, except for Batman 66, which is really perfect great. film. <laughs> Maybe a perfect <laughs> film. Um, they all bring something to the table that I find fascinating in unique ways. Uh, inspiring ways, even. Some cautionary tales here and there. <laughs> It's honestly been a really great journey this whole time. I hadn't regretted the retrospective before. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So this is a loaded Um, episode because, uh, one, we have to redo the opening a little bit again. And that's okay because technically it's happening. By opening, Diego means about 45 minutes in the podcast. (laughs) But you know what? No, we're going to get it right. There will be no issues, and it's going to rock. Hello, Patreon listeners. (laughs) Something went wrong. Um, But no, this is an admittedly kind of a loaded episode. The Dark Knight I had mentioned was was a a, a film that I actually felt the most pressure to talk about up up to this point. This one has a different kind of pressure, but... The Dark Knight just has such like a weight to it and like a an importance, maybe maybe too important for some people, like we also talked about in that episode. But BVS is a different beast entirely, while also kind of covering familiar pop culture status in a weird way. Uh, yeah, people love it, people hate it, people fall in between. Other people don't even care about it, and other people are still yelling about Lady Ghostbusters. Um, <laughs> it's so there's, there, there's a lot of, of nonsense here. We're going to, we're going to try to wade through some of the nonsense. Um, Matt and I have been, I think pretty open about our, our, our stance on man of steel. And this is actually not going to be that filled with tangents as far as I'm like, I mean, I hope, I hope not because we have to kind of talk about the filmmaker behind Batman vs Superman and Zack Snyder. And the history of the film itself, which goes back a little further than we usually do with our history. Yes, but I think this episode will perfectly reflect the nature and structure of the film we're talking about. Actually, if all goes well, yes. 
Now, you know what? No, because this we, we tend to like get our ideas out of the way. We don't cross-cut 50 different ideas at once and then get really, really tedious. <laughs> um, we'll, we'll hold off on, on thoughts for the official film up to this point. Uh, let, let's get into a little bit of the history of the man, Zack Snyder. Uh, do you remember where he came from? As a filmmaker, I have no idea. Okay, me neither. You know what? We had this exact same conversation yesterday during the failed recording. Maybe one of us should have googled something. <laughs> um, shows how much we care. <laughs> we did. Here's the thing: we did a lot of research on like other aspects about the film, just nothing about oh, like, yeah. where he grew up. But I mean, to, to to be fair to us, I don't know where Christopher Nolan came from. He just kind of um, yeah, but like, up. but I know he did. I I know he started with like you know Memento and following and shit like that. Oh yeah, and, and but with it's Zack Snyder. It's just one day he was doing the Dawn of the Dead remake. Um, this is this isn't like inside baseball or anything. I think it's actually kind of public knowledge. This is why Snyder was handed the keys to the DCEU when they decided to go that route, which, as we will discuss, was not always the route they had intended to go. Um, but Warner Brothers until recently, really liked working with Zack Snyder. Uh, mm-hmm. They had a great relationship. Uh, Dawn of the Dead wasn't a Warner Brothers film, but with 300, which we're, we will also bring up thoughts on uh, quickly, uh, they they loved what he did with the, the picture. I think even his most ardent... Um, the moving picture. Yeah, even his most ardent critics will will often say hey like this guy's got a, got an eye though he's got an eye for the visuals the stylization uh, his his images are very expressive more more than anything Zack so Snyder's very good at telling his cinematographer what to do <laughs> uh regular cinematographer Larry Fong who also returned for BVS uh we've also not did Larry Fong do uh 300 Larry Fong did do 300 Okay. Uh, Larry Fong also, I believe, went to school with JJ. I know more about where Larry Fong came from than Zack Snyder. I apologize, <laughs> but I, I, I'm also uh, like well, a unanimous fan of Larry Fong. If we're talking about a guy most known for his visuals, we should probably give a lot of credit to his cinematographer. Yeah. Uh, generally, they they do work together. Uh, there's a couple times where their schedules didn't line up. Like he Fong couldn't do Justice League, so he got uh, someone named Fabian Wagner. Are we sure? Fong didn't do Justice League? 100%. He was doing uh, Skull Island. Oh, okay. Oh, that was worth he, it. He did Skull Island and then Predator back-to-back. Yeah. Wow, Larry Fong just keeps getting fucked by the studio. Predator, so Predator was, yeah. <laughs> Skull, Skull Island was just the director. That's Oh, poor Larry Fong, man. But when it comes to his actual stories, I find that Zack Snyder films do not lend themselves well to... Uh, Matching the visuals with the writing, or at least dialogue. Maybe maybe the writing's stronger on the page than it is uh, when the characters are talking about it. Because I, I I'm a big fan of Dawn of the Dead. Uh, that of course is a script by James Gunn. Um, uh, I, we've also not been shy about saying we were a fan of his work too. And something about that film felt like the perfect storm of talent at the time. For a film that should admittedly not have been attempted, even. Talent, source material, and maybe some restrictions. Because it was maybe a first-time filmmaker on the job. <laughs> um, but, yeah, that seems to be his best movie. And I'm not, I'm not even, a, a, like, a hater. I just, that that's my favorite Zack Snyder film. 
Uh, after that, of course, 300, uh, which hasn't aged that well for me. There are still things I greatly admire about it. But uh, it wasn't like when I was in high school and I saw it and I was just like, oh, yeah, fuck, yeah, that movie was awesome. Blood and violence. Yeah, I was men. I was surrounded by people like that. I apologize. So it was uh, it, it was kind of off putting at the time for me. Um, but I've I I've come to appreciate it on an intellectual level. Um. It's it's really it's honestly quite funny because it's basically a propaganda film. Like it's a film about the Greeks just talking about the Spartans specifically talking about how awesome they are and how the the Persians are literal black monsters. Yeah, there there's been criticism about that for the film and there's criticism but like I think it's there for a reason, you know? Oh, no, I, I actually agree with this take, but I also understand someone still walking away from it and being like, yo. Oh, yeah, it's, well, I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it's it's satire, but it's also doing exactly what <laughs> it's doing, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, and I, I honestly don't know how much of that, because I, I read the 300 comic, like, years ago, and, like, I know a lot is lifted from it, but I don't know... Because, like, Frank Miller turned out to be a genuine right-wing crazy person. Oh, yeah. Frank Miller's, like, insane. And so I don't know how much uh, of of the the kind of the jokey, the playful nature of 300 is a Zack Snyder invention or from the page. Um, I rewatched it a little while back, and I forgot there was a fucking rape scene in it. Yeah. Which is basically the moment I turned on the film. Um, so I don't really enjoy watching it, but I, I, I think it's an interesting film. And that eventually also got him the gig for Watchmen, which he was very passionate about. Who wouldn't be? Yeah. Um, and Watchmen's a weird film because it's kind of the perfect adaptation and the film does not need to be a perfect adaptation. Like if you're going to adapt Watchmen, Watchmen... Is a, is a story in a comic that uses everything in its comic book tool belt to tell its story as a comic book, primarily and foremost. Whereas Watchmen, the film, in another adaptation, uh, because I think it will be made into a movie eventually again. Uh, of course, we're seeing the HBO series come out later this year, 2019. Um, I think if it's going to be a film again, it needs to like take cues from more cinematic history than comic book history and structure and form no one no one is smart enough to do that you know what i think i think someone could do it someday no no (laughs) no by the time someone would be smart enough to do it and have the power watchmen will be too dated i was gonna say we'll all be dead but okay well there's that (laughs) but i think we're about i think we're crossing the threshold of when watchmen's politics were super relevant It'll always be like it'll always be an important part of comic book history, but it was designed to kind of kill superhero comics, <laughs> and it it failed miserably and actually led to a renaissance. <laughs> so we kind of have to we need a different thing now because in the intervening years, uh, and maybe the film we're talking about was trying to be that different thing. In a weird way, maybe I just want to talk about a couple more of Snyder's films. Uh, there's. The Legends of the Guardians, The Owls of Gahul. 
Rise of the Guardians. Rise of the Guardians. Um, it's the Legends of Gahu. Uh, a film that no one on the planet has ever seen, uh, but I'm a fan of it. It's interesting that Zack Snyder did a children's film. Yeah, like... <laughs> that might be uh, that might be that might explain some things if I check it out. And another one of the problems with the uh, Watchmen is the more satirical elements. I, I think there are plenty of defenses out there for for people who are genuine fans of the film, and I encourage anyone to go check out uh, more positive takes than the one I I have that. The satirical elements don't come across as satirical. The way Snyder frames his images and his characters and the violence feels more gratuitous than uh, purposefully, like, excessive. It just kind of is, like, it is what it is because that's his thing. You know what I mean? Um, And Sucker Punch, of course, also kind of suffers this for me. But there's a lot of Sucker Punch. Sucker Punch I fell asleep in the theaters watching. (laughs) Oh, well. I mean, the, the trailer for that, and like all of Zack Snyder's films. It was almost like I got a sucker punch. Because I feel like Boo. someone out there is... Because any way you respond to a Zack Snyder film, I just want to say there's always someone out there going like, that's how you were supposed to respond. Uh, that's it's kind of true. <laughs> which is how, which is also how people describe Lars von Trier films. <laughs> and I'm not a fan of that. So... Uh. I I like I like one of Von Trier's films, but I'm gonna hold that in case we ever talk about it. Uh, Is it Dogville? No, I've actually never seen Dogville. But anyways, not like Dog yeah, Dogville's good. Uh, Sucker Punch. If you want to watch a three-hour movie that makes you want to just fucking kill yourself, <laughs> check out Dogville. Uh, Sucker Punch. I think I think that film, along with BVS contributes to the truth in Zack Snyder's storytelling or his his truth in his storytelling in that a lot of his films are about power, uh, deception, perspective, perception, and that he's ultimately very clearly a nihilist. He does not have high opinions of humanity. And that I, I, I think your mileage may vary. Okay, so back in the mid two thousands, uh, they're launching Batman Begins, and of course the quasi sequel reboot to the Richard Donner Superman pictures, uh, Superman Returns. And so there's a lot of discussion uh, in between the la- the making of the last Superman, and the last Batman, uh, ten years that they might cross over Batman and Superman down the line. And I believe you have more history on this than I do. But, well, the the idea of a Batman versus Superman movie has been around since like the '90s. <laughs> like it was always one of those ideas, kind of getting tossed in. Honestly, the weirdest thing about this film for me is that if you know the production history of like all the unmade Batman and Superman films, there's like so many elements from those that were like dumped into this film. <laughs> it was like they had a file somewhere, <laughs> and like, oh, here's all the ideas we haven't done yet. And they're like, cool, let's just do it all at once. <laughs> um, but when Superman Returns came out, Superman Returns, like, it, it underperformed, I guess, to expectations. Um, and and hasn't gone on to be, like, a critically reevaluated film, you know? Yeah, there are uh, certainly no pockets, one... and I, I like aspects of it, for sure. I definitely like parts of it, um, but it, it really does not work as a film. <laughs> 
and is only aged more horribly. <laughs> yeah, some sometimes because um, of the the filmmaker themselves. Sometimes because of outside circumstances. Which I guess is something that we should say about Zack Snyder is that, like, no matter what you think about his films, he hasn't really done anything that's, like, truly scumbaggy. Yeah, no, there, I have, I take issue with some of the way he treats, uh, or encourages lesser aspects of his fan base that, uh... Yeah, but no one understands that. <laughs> no, but he he's clearly, like, stoking fires, and it's like, okay, man. We can talk about, we'll get into how Zack Snyder views the world. <laughs> Oh, there's we'll get into that. that, yeah, because um, it's a, a big part of it. But um, so Superman Returns underperforms. They also tried to make Justice League Mortal, the George Miller Justice League film, um, which I don't. It's that's such a weird thing to me because they literally like, pulled the plug like days away from principal photography. <laughs> like they had even done like some test shooting, you know, and like second unit stuff, and they just pulled the plug, which is just crazy to think about. Uh, it was the and, Nolan trilogy but, that basically kind of nixed that. Yeah, but it's in, in the way too. But even then, it's like it felt like even leading up to it, no one really believed in it. You know? Yeah. Like it was, it was such a weird. Th- like, can you imagine they were making? You know what though? It's not that weird when we think about it now. <laughs> like now that we know how Warner Brothers operates, it's not as weird. And they're but... they're they were way better back then. So like. <laughs> Yeah. It's... But this is that this is when that tide starts to turn. Like this is post Lord of the Rings, post Matrix, post the first few Harry Potter films. And this is when like they start going into the fucking trying to make the Hobbit movies which turn into a disaster. And they kind of just got the thing that was good for them at this time was the Dark Knight trilogy, which was a monster hit. And they almost immediately go we just want to do the Dark Knight <laughs> over and over again. <laughs> so, they, you know, I mean, even they, they produced those uh, those uh, James Bond films. They definitely started taking cues from the Batman films. And they start going, we're going to reboot Superman and do it like the Dark Knight. And they the title Man of Steel was around from the Superman Returns era. Like, that was the idea was that it was going to be... Batman Begins, Superman Returns, The Dark Knight, The Man of Steel. Like, that was going to be a thing. And then they just kept the title for the next projects. <laughs> it's a good title. I mean, well, it's it really is to try and be like, this is the weighty superhero film. Because that's what they, they kind of started trying to do with their films. So the idea was they were going to do a trilogy akin to the Dark Knight trilogy, but they were going to do it with Superman. And they heard pitches from people... Like Grant Morrison, Mark Wade, Jeff Johns, Brad Meltzer, uh, Mark Millar, and Matthew Vaughn pitched an eight-hour epic trilogy, which they compared to The Lord of the Rings and The Godfather. But I mean, who the fuck wouldn't compare their trilogy to those two things? And it was it's described as chronicling the entire life of Superman from the early days of Krypton to the final days where superman loses his powers as the sun starts to go supernova so that could have been something that's that's fucking crazy (laughs) but it was probably a little too weighty so another big thing happens though in august 2009 and this is probably more important than anything else i've said up to this point (laughs) 
uh, courts rule in favor of Jerry Siegel's family and allow them to regain 50% of the rights to Superman's origin, sh- origin story and a share of the copyright in Action Comics number one, the comic where Superman first premiered. Um, the judge rules that they are not owed royalties of previous films. However, if production on a Superman film does not start by the year 2011, then the Siegel estate would be entitled to sue for lost revenue of an unproduced film. So that kind of lit the fire in Warner Bros. Be like, we got to get a Superman film made. So in 2010, they turned to Christopher Nolan and they're like, look, we want you to help make a Superman film. And Nolan's like, well, I'm too busy with Batman, but I'll help produce it. And he and David S. Goyer come up with a story, a basic outline for what will eventually become Man of Steel. And then by the end of 2011, uh, I mean 2010, um, Zack Snyder had signed on as director and filming began the following year. Production of Man of Steel gets on the underway with the idea that it will be the start of a trilogy. And Nolan talks about over and over again in interviews that this trilogy will be a film where it's it's a world with just Superman. They want to do it just like Batman, where the Dark Knight trilogy, Batman is the only superhero in his world. So the Man of Steel trilogy will be a trilogy where Superman is the only hero. That's that's the basic conceit. But during production of Man of Steel, the Avengers comes out in May 2012 and makes a fucking shit ton of money. <laughs> and basically everyone suddenly is that and suddenly, I mean, do you remember how quick it was every studio announced they were doing a shared universe? Oh god, it was unbearable. And only two of them are still standing. Arguably. Uh, <laughs> well, one's plodding along. It, it finally looks like it's on solid ground for the first time. One that's, that's what seems to have collapsed in on itself and then become a completely new universe. <laughs> okay, that's probably more accurate. And the other is making so much money that it will control all our destinies. Yeah, I'm actively upset that they have movies for the foreseeable future. It's, uh, yeah, whatever. Um, movies are dying, but hey. And we gotta remember that Avengers was kind of a surprise for Hollywood. I don't think it was a surprise for, like, the comic book nerds out there. But it was a surprise for Hollywood because up until that point, like, you know, Captain America, the first Avenger, and the first Thor movie didn't do super well at the box office. Like, they did all right, but they weren't, like, mega hits. And I, I even remember that people like like Marvel's folly, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. Everyone was talking talking up how it was going to be a disaster. And then like just before it dropped, Disney bought Marvel. So, and it just suddenly, it was like a huge game changer. And so Man of Steel uh, is released in June 2013, the year after Avengers, with no real indication that it will set up a larger universe. There's some there's some brief mentions of, you know, there's like a Wayne Enterprises uh, satellite in it. But they're really there. It was it was, all the references to a greater universe are there in a way where if the movie bombed. They could just start over from scratch. <laughs> but Man of Steel did not bomb. And so a sequel would be put into production real soon. Now let's revisit Man of Steel very briefly. Goodbye, my son. 
hopes and dreams travel with you. You'll be an outcast. I'll kill him. How? He'll be a god to them. Let's just say Man of Steel was a divisive film. And I was I was hard on it then, and I still do not like the film. But I'm not where I was at a couple years ago. Uh, mostly because I just don't care anymore. <laughs> but um, I did revisit it. And by revisit it, I mean I watched until the fighting started. <laughs> and... Uh, it's it's an interesting movie. It really is. Even though I don't think it works, uh, I or it, it just at least it doesn't work for me. Um, it is so clearly trying to be Batman Begins, which is it. Like I always thought that criticism was kind of unfair, you know. Like remember when that like people were just like, oh, they're trying to just be the Dark Knight or whatever. Yeah. And I felt that was unfair, but rewatching it, they really were trying to do that. Yeah, I mean, hey, Nolan produced it, Goya wrote it. Um, it's roughly the same creative team it, with the addition of Zack Snyder and some of his people. And I mean, and the big controversial thing from that film was a Snyder edition. <laughs> that, that that's true. I mean, I, I've got issues with Goya too. We've talked about how his best strengths are often in like the broad outline strokes. And structure more so than like individual segments of his films, and I think Goyer I th- seems to only be as good as his directors, honestly. Yeah, but I mean, there's a funny bit even in like uh, Hell or Blade Two where Guillermo del Toro, I think in a commentary or something like that, is just like laughing about how absurd and like cheesy and not great the script was that he had to work with. But he's like cackling, <laughs> like he's having a blast, you know, because he's he's GDT. That's what he does. But, um, yeah, Goyer's mileage varies. Speaking of Goyer, I think he gave an interview once where he said that when he wrote, when he wrote Man of Steel, he was trying to answer a lot of questions that he felt weren't answered in, like, original Superman films. <laughs> um, and one thing to remember, I, I think you, it's hard to understand Man of Steel without understanding Superman the movie, which I don't think is a great criticism. <laughs> Like, I don't think that's a good point, like, because what we don't understand, when Superman, the movie came out, they were dealing with, like, a really diverse history of Superman comics that had not been unified in any way up to that point. Like, it was still, like, about a decade out from, more than a decade out from Crisis on Infinite Earths rebooting the entire DC universe, and then we get the Man of Steel comic which retells a more grounded Superman story. Sound fucking familiar? Um, which is also not a good comic, by the way. It, well, it really is. It, it just shows, I think, the folly of trying to do a more grounded Superman. I think that's a mistake. Um, but Superman the movie really is the first definitive take on the origin of Superman. It's the first time it all kind of congealed together at once and wasn't just being made up on the fly. You know? Mm-hmm. So if you watch Man of Steel, it's a film that's like deeply skeptical of Superman the movie. And it really is a film about, you know, Krypton being really fucked up and needing to be, you know, the sins of Krypton needing to be purged. Like, why were they watching Earth? And Man of Steel heavily implies that they were watching Earth because they were going to terraform it at some point. 
which is eventually what the villain plot of the film is, you know? Yeah, and they're, they're even like uh, when Zod and his cronies are searching other planets for survivors. Those are planets that they were attempting to colonize or like mine yeah. for resources, you know? that The Kryptonians were like a, a failed society even before the planet blew up. And so I think that's a really bold testament uh, to start off the film with. And I, I again, I like all the ideas in the film. The overall, like, ideas and themes, uh, they all work for me. It's when they're enacted in the actual film that I don't think they work well together, either from not having enough breathing room or not being followed through on enough amidst the mind-numbing action. Well, one thing I really like about... One thing that's really interesting about Man of Steel is that it treats Superman like an alien invasion story. It harkens, and not in a Independence Day type of way. There's a lot of alien invasion stories which are really bad, which aliens just kind of come to Earth and they're like, we want your fucking gold or some bullshit. <laughs> and they start blowing things up. And it's so stupid because any alien race that could travel that far wouldn't even have to enter our atmosphere to, like, destroy us. <laughs> you know? Um, but, uh, if we go back to the OG alien invasion story, uh, the War of the Worlds, we find a lot of similarities between the original War of the Worlds and the movie Man of Steel. One thing the movie versions of Man of Steel have, I mean, of War of the Worlds have never really gotten is that the Martians are from a dying planet. That the Martians, which they aren't even explicitly Martians in... Spielberg's War of the Worlds, but um, the Martians are, the planet Mars is dying. It is a desolate planet. They Life began on Mars way before us, and so it was allowed to evolve over a longer time, and due to uh, the entropy of the universe, <laughs> um, they're, it's dying. So the Martians are coming to Earth because their planet is dying. And, you know, it's a commentary on, like, imperialism and colonialism, but... In H.G. Wells' mind, the Martians in his, of his story were basically what he thought humanity would end up like. And it, really, the, the Martians invading Earth, it's, the Martians are us, is basically it. And their tragedy is our tragedy. And the, movie, the book kind of gives a hope that maybe the Martians dying will teach us a lesson that will help us in the future. But uh, it's left ambiguous and based on H.G. Wells' other writing he was kind of pessimistic especially towards the end um which I guess I would be too if I predicted that there would be world wars and then a world war happened yeah um but you could say the same thing about the Kryptonians in and Superman in Man of Steel where because Superman is kind of like an idealized human being and the Kryptonians could be what humanity is building towards. So their tragedy is ultimately our tragedy. And that's really fascinating. And then the movie happens. <laughs> and it's... Again, I, I find it interesting to talk about it. I will not... I do not enjoy watching it. I get a headache watching it. Uh, during the last action set piece in particular, uh, I find it... During the last action, and there's so much just like... What I'm talking about maybe makes up about 10 minutes of the film. <laughs> the rest is just this plotting, just nonsense. But uh, Well, there. this uh, isn't like a... Well, you know what? No, it is a legitimate criticism because it's trying to be thoughtful 
and uh, like this deep resonant story of, of of an immigrant coming to Earth, you know, and that's a I think we need stories like that right now. But then like every five to ten minutes, there's like a big crash or like explosion or boom. And it's like it, it's so much. Just please, please. I disagree. Stop. It's really? there isn't enough. There isn't enough crash and boom. No, <laughs> fucking asshole. But no, no. Seriously, it's the crashing and booming of that movie is so isolated from its like weightier moments. You know, mm-hmm. that's what the problem is. They don't know how to. It doesn't know how to marry the two ideas. So like, you know what? Yeah, like, I, I would completely agree with that. Actually, when the Superman is punching Zod in the face, there's no like, there's nothing there. <laughs> you know, you're just watching violence, and it's not very interesting. Uh, I think where it also turned off a lot more hardcore Superman fans was that Superman kills Zod in the end. Mm-hmm. And here's my thing on that: I don't think you and I have ever really discussed this even yesterday i think we kind of barely touched upon it i'm okay with superman killing zod i mm-hmm. not okay with the way the film handles it for a couple reasons really quick and then we can start moving into the next part of the discussion um the film doesn't make superman's no kill rule like an active thing throughout its like runtime it just becomes a big deal when zod's trying to burn a family after they've already leveled, like, a mile-long section of Metropolis. I mean, obviously, yeah, Superman... No shit, Superman should save that family that's in harm's way. But it's just... The framing of that is so odd, because already so much death and destruction has occurred around him. He even jumps out of, like, the way of an exploding truck at one point, and then it hits a building behind him, and it blows up. So it's just weird. It's really weird that they frame these, like, heroic attempts uh, as I'm not as even tragic. saying... I'm not even saying Superman has to have a connection to humanity. But there needs to be more humanity in that movie. <laughs> That's really all it is. Like, if you want to do a movie where it's like these... Uh, it's basically two gods fighting and that it's the the indifference to man's perils in the fight. Uh, that could be interesting, you know? If he's just very... If Superman's very, like, just... His powerfulness makes him disconnected from humanity which is always kind of a thing that gets played with but there's just isn't enough humanity the only humanity we really get in the film is lois lane and the military and lois lane is this is also kind of just the military except a woman constantly trying to shed her femaleness Oh, God. some of some of the dialogue. Poor Amy Adams. She's such a talent, and she just gets like nothing to play with in these. Just all right. Not to jump ahead to the fucking movie, but why did they bother repeating the fucking Lois Lane should have a measuring dick line thing? I don't know. Like, what is that? It's... Why do that twice? Why do the same thing? It's the attempt to show her as tough, and I'll say this: the writing does not support her well but amy adams i think is a really good lois lane it's so tragic watching how committed she is she's so committed to the worst dialogue i've ever heard amy adams and and even henry cavill i'm I'm a henry cavill fan i don't think he gets enough to play with either um he he seems a little lost at times but that might not be his fault yeah also one of the few uh romantic pairings in movie history where the woman is actually older than the man so 
Hey, good, good, good job. Yeah. Hey, there you go. There's something. Uh, and the problem with the humanity being tied intrinsically to the military on Lois Lane does come into play in BVS. And I, I think it's a retroactive, like one of those sequels where they go, Hey, hey we meant to do that. <laughs> because the film definitely plays with that aspect mm-hmm. of it. There's a lot of that in Batman v Superman. So uh, David Goyer, the writer of, or on the Dark Knight trilogy, and Man of Steel was tapped to do Batman versus Superman. Once uh, Zack Snyder and his creative team had decided that Batman would be the antagonist. Yes, that and was apparently uh, that came out of a meeting where they couldn't figure out who the opponent should be. Yeah, they wanted to bring Superman more down to earth after having him fight essentially another god because that's what they refer to Superman as cont- continuously. Um, they wanted to have him fight another human being, and so Lex Luthor was obviously in the discussion. But when they said Batman, Zack Snyder was insistent that nobody could like. And another put comparison, that back in the box. another comparison to the Dark Knight trilogy is that they save the like the well known villain for the second film, you know. Like, I'm willing to bet yeah. if we got if if Zack Snyder was allowed to make a Superman trilogy, it would have been Zod first film, Lex Luthor second, and then in the third film it would have been Brainiac, and he would have been connected, you know, with the Bottle City of Kendor or some shit. Like yeah, some, yeah, of course. and you know, basically would have been you know Ra's al Ghul, the Joker, and Bane. <laughs> so, and again, in broad strokes, I I like these ideas it's yeah in broad strokes but i i would say it's a huge mistake to think that that's what you should do with lex luther frankly um i I think luther should be in all the films i think it should be the single central um threat of only one and be recurring antagonist lex luther is much more than just an arch nemesis you know (laughs) Mm -hmm. like he's a he's a recurring character um which is probably the only thing the show Smallville got right. I got a soft spot for Smallville, but you're 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 kind of right. Yeah. It doesn't all work. It mostly doesn't. Uh, but the writing process for BVS changed very quickly because David Goyer pumped out a draft, and for whatever reason, it wasn't working. So Zack Snyder brought on Argo writer Chris Terrio to refurbish it from the ground up alongside alongside uh, Snyder, and. They it took them another year uh, for pre-production and production and and getting everything together. So originally it was slated for 2015, comes out in 2016, and I actually think that was the better move, regardless of the quality of the film. Like just don't now. More time for pre-production movies. is always good. Yeah, like just don't like rush movies out like that. You know, like they're under two year window for. Any movie, especially with this budget, is crazy. There are just... so many movies out right now, right now, <laughs> that are adequate, that could be great if they you just got given one more pass. And But it's... none of them are allotted the time for that one pass. So that seems to be the recurring theme of our generation. Um, and I would say I would include movies I love, which I think all could have benefited from one pass. But nope, we got to get one out every two years. Yeah, which I think is a mistake. Uh, I yeah, I'm right there with you. Like this whole idea of like is film dying? That that, that conversation always comes up. Like 
I don't think so, but I think it's struggling to survive. No, I think the I think the way we watch movies is dying. I don't think film will ever die, but it's it's about to change really drastically. And there will always be theaters, but I don't think it, not this way. I think what we're witnessing right now, we're kind of at the tail end of, but that will be determined, I think, in the next few years. Yeah, yeah, which is a whole other conversation. Well, no, it's it's still tied to this. Actually, I think I Hollywood say. must have known this on some some level because when I when I look back at without we'll we'll go into this more later. But when I look at like the because eventually BVS turned into it's not just going to be a sequel to Man of Steel, it's going to jumpstart the DC cinematic universe, DC expanded universe. Is it expanded or extended? I never know. I don't. Who cares? <laughs> but it was such an odd thing where they were really trying to jump to an end game almost. And I don't mean to use that. I, I kind of am using that word playfully, but I don't really mean to. <laughs> um, but, you know, when we, if you look at the original plans, they were trying to like jump ahead, you know? Like, they weren't going to do what Marvel did where they set up each character in their individual film. Not saying they should have, but they weren't going to do that. And I think part of it might be that these studios maybe are looking at financial models and they know that if they don't get these movies out by X date, then no one is going to go see them like this. I think that might have been a big influence. I think so. So here's the, here's what I do generally understand from, from uh, following... Uh, the trade reports are, are, are mostly nonsense, but like if you follow people like Jay Oliva, who is a storyboard artist who worked on apparently the entire direction of the DCEU after Man of Steel, um, who swears to date that there is both a Snyder Cut and um, uh, there was a five-film arc. After Man of Steel was decided to be the kickoff to the DCEU, that's when planning began for Snyder's like five-part biblical uh, series with the DC characters um, that maybe was a little We'll get into more of ambitious. What, what it was later. But yeah, at some point it was decided that there was going to be... It was going to be... Uh, you know, they announced BVS and then two Justice League films, and then there was a third one apparently that was kind of just hidden. And then th none of that happened. <laughs> But I, th I, I think it was honestly to beat these projections that, and to beat the competition. <laughs> we'll get to what I believe might, I believe some, I believe a certain decision in this film was made in order to undercut what they thought a competitor was going to do. <laughs> like, why'd they jump to that? Why didn't they take their time? And it's, well, because it probably wouldn't work in a couple years, you know? They, mm -hmm. they kind of, they kind of were trying to fight a war they already lost, you know? I'm not saying I wouldn't love to see a DC, because I love the DC characters more than the Marvel characters, honestly, but I just think that it was ne it was never going to work this way, uh, unfortunately. And the crazy thing is that it's not like Snyder was uh, making this up to executives as he went along. Like yeah, that's the other, that's the really crazy thing, is that this isn't a movie, this isn't a situation where it's like, just bumbling idiocy or like a studio like this is this isn't even just a, it's one it's a director super committed and working really hard with some really talented people and probably the more important element which is a studio that is nothing but supportive <laughs> you know like that just doesn't happen 
and this is what we get. <laughs> it's crazy. It's such a rare beast in that way. There was one big shift that I think started to dissolve the Snyder Warner Brothers relationship, and that's when they brought on Kevin Sujihara, mm. um, who has since been uh, let go. Yes, for activities. And that might not even be, I mean, there's always that weird thing. Whenever a new executive takes over, it's a weird thing you read about where the new head will just kill projects started under the old head just to be like, well, I didn't start those projects. <laughs> like, it's so weird. Hollywood sucks, man. It does. And that that is, we'll have to get back to that after the BVS part of this yeah. discussion, finally. Um, because that that's mostly for that. But that's where there's a huge shift in where these movies were going and where they've ended up. One thing I should mention, we just, I just want to point out something that Chris Terrio, when he was brought on to work with whatever Goyer had done up to that point, it's important to understand exactly what this film had to be. And I'm not even talking about thematic, that can I'll come later, but we're talking about a movie that has to be a sequel to Man of Steel, which again was envisioned as the start of a trilogy that now isn't going to happen. Also ends on a controversial note that needs to be addressed. It needs to be a film that sets up a new Batman, but also an old Batman. Because <laughs> you can't just do Batman Begins again. So you have to set up a new Batman, but you can't just do Batman Begins again. And you're very explicitly going to take elements from the comic The Dark Knight Returns. <laughs> While also taking elements from the Death of Superman story, while also launching the DCEU, this movie had no chance. There's no <laughs> way to marry all those ideas. That's what, honestly, because I did not see this in theaters, what turned me off was that just that not like knowing that. Like, watching the trailers, I just said, this will have to be the greatest film ever made <laughs> to work. <laughs> And there's no chance it'll be the... Like, I don't even... Like, it's not even about Snyder or anything. It's just there was no chance it was going to be that. Yeah, any director could have come on board and it would have been like, well, there's almost no chance you could have had working. You could have had Stanley Kubrick, Drunk Orson Welles, and Steven Spielberg all working on this at once and somehow not letting their egos get in the way. And it still would have been a mess. With unlimited money and time. You could have done it with with unlimited money and time. You couldn't have made this work. That's really I mean, it. even like uh, like Dark Knight Rises, a film you and I are both fans of. Even I, um, that movie struggles, and it's a finale to one story. Yes, <laughs> like that's just and that was the last appearance of Batman prior to this in live action. That's it, it's the uphill battle for this film was just not fair. Basically, not fair that's, at all. I just think it's a way where I could have seen this being like a glorious mess of some kind, kind of like the Star Wars prequels, but it never could have been something that would have satisfied the public. I also think that, again, not to jump ahead, but after this and then the whole kerfuffle with Justice League, Justice League really underperformed. It, it Justice League is basically a bomb for what it was supposed to be, you know? It made like $600 million and it still costs studio money. Yeah. Like, which is, I mean, one, the studio system that supports that system, like the fact that that's possible yeah. is, is unacceptable, but already, even but if like, that's crazy, even if the production turmoil that happened on that film hadn't happened, I think we would have seen the exact same result. 
because this is oh no i i actually agree with that this is not a film that you this is not a film you can start a shared universe with like i i I will say i'm willing to contend that this might be a secret masterpiece of some kind but if you think this is a good start to a cinematic universe you are out of your fucking mind uh critic friend josh lewis he has his own podcast called sleazoids everyone check it out uh he's a fan of bvs and when, because he he hated Man of Steel, mm-hmm. like we had discussions about he he disliked it more than I did. And uh, when man when BVS came out, I was like appalled <laughs> that he liked it off the bat. Uh, and he ha- he has really great writing, and I'd recommend that too. But he said something that made it really clear to me for a lot of perspectives on this film. I'm not a fan of the DCEU. I'm a fan of BVS. I, I again, yeah, that, that that's perfect. That's probably the best. Yeah, way it's like to say it. I mean, there are DCEU fans that love this movie, too, for sure. A lot of them do. Uh, and they're, they're, they're allowed to. There's nothing wrong with that. They're, they're in the right. I cannot imagine anyone, like, actually saying that verbatim, like, oh, yeah, this is this is a kickstart an entire universe. You're really kind of cutting at the end of a, the middle of a story. Yeah. And it's... Well, you're doing it, something... It put off a lot of people. You're doing something Hollywood just doesn't do anymore because Hollywood's there to make money. Which is to say, this is not for a lot of people. Like, this movie isn't calculated to appeal to four quadrants. And I think that's what people love about it, but... And I get it, I agree, in that sense. But it just... you It wouldn't have stuck... You, you can't make a financially stable cinematic universe out of it. Which, again, is like the least important thing at the end of the day. But I think it's it needs to be acknowledged that that's really I think the anchors on this film. But we'll get more into that. Yeah. Um, uh, do you have? I forgot. Do you have something else you want? To yes, I want to talk about uh, okay. Chris Terrio. Okay. Um, who has wrote Argo, and uh, I which I saw like once and I enjoyed, <laughs> but I don't really remember much about it. I remember Argo, fuck yourself, and that's pretty much it. And I don't. He, he's doing the new Star Wars film. And I guess I just want to kind of hope that it's going to be good <laughs> because he uh, he wrote a weird film, <laughs> to say the least. And in interviews, he's very, uh, I don't want to use the word pretentious, but he's a little pretentious. He's very heady. He's very heady. Um, and he talks up all the, like, giant ideas that he was trying to do with these films. He basically, he gives this, honestly, it's one of those, like, that, like, those tragic comments, <laughs> like, it's, it's one where he said, I can't believe the most interesting film I could be working on, it, films, films, he said films, I could be working on in my life are superhero films. But he took direct influence from, he, he talks about an essay by, uh, Umberto Eco, who uh, is a very, very popular literary critic. Um, I'm sure some people know. Uh, I am aware of him. I'm not well, well read in his stuff. So I'm going to be talking about some of his ideas, and I apologize to everyone who knows him better than me. <laughs> He's probably going <laughs> to blow their fucking brains out listening to this. Um, but he does this really, he wrote this really interesting paper called The Myth of Superman, um, which goes into. It was written in the 60s, so it, it's about a different type of Superman than we know. 
which is that a Superman where every adventure has to be a new adventure not connected to the previous adventure, right? So Superman can never change. He's always got to be Superman. And he found that really interesting because it's kind of this combination of like heroic myths and then more standard modern myths but it, they, it can't be both. Um, Superman can never age. Superman can't, Superman can't change as a character because to acknowledge change is to acknowledge death. You know? And Superman can't die. You know what I'm saying? Um, <laughs> so it's, it's, it's fat, it's, I recommend everyone reading it because I'm butchering, I'm so butchering it right now. Um, but he talks a lot about how Superman can't consume himself, which is, Basically means he can't change, he can't die. We can't really explore the implications of Superman. And then he also talks about how uh, the redundant messaging of a story like Superman, where it's just the same shit over and over again, we start realizing that people are not attracted to these stories because of the events that happen in them, but just to see familiar things, you know? Like, when you read a Sherlock Holmes story, you're not really there for the mystery. Like, you could say you're there for the mystery, but you really don't care about that. You're there to see, you know, Sherlock Holmes kind of berate Watson (laughs) and other familiar things. He points out that there's nothing wrong with that, but if it becomes the norm, that's troubling. (laughs) That if if all a person is consuming is redundant messaging, then that could lead to some problems. And frankly, I think he's, he predicted a, a lot of what we're living with right now. <laughs> Not as redundant as he talks about, because there's definitely the element of change in modern media, but it's not, it's a different type of change, you know? Yeah. It's a change that we all see yeah. as coming, you know? And I would argue even fighting against the change is actually doing damage to one of the very popular series happening right now. That's a whole other discussion. I can't imagine what you're possibly talking about. But uh, I should mention that one of those things, one of the many things discussed in that essay is basically that Superman can't be Superman, you know? He can't Mm. really do what a Superman would come here to do because that would, for one, it it would break the world, essentially, and it would make us realize that, you know, the world collapses and dies at the end of the day. And now, after he wrote that, of course, there's been there have been develops, developments in Superman's world. Superman, of course, has died a few times in the comics since then. <laughs> um, but at the time, it was much more of a closed system. Um, and I think this film, more than anything else, was trying to hit on the notion of consequence and change. And the dangers of trying to ignore the idea of consequence and change. Both on a, I think, uh, on just a very visceral story level and a metatextual level. Civil liberties are being trampled on in your city. People living in fear. He thinks he's above the law. The Daily Planet criticizing those who think they're above the law is a little hypocritical. What'd you say? Considering every time your hero saves a cat out of a tree, you read a puff piece editorial about an alien who could burn the whole place down. Most of the world doesn't share your opinion, Mr. Wayne. Maybe it's Gotham City in me. We just have a bad history with 
freaks dressed like clowns. After everything, it's finally time to talk about the movie. We're finally here to talk about BVS, Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice, uh, the whole shebang, extended cut, even. Um, yes, I watched all three hours of the extended cut. Matthew, this was your first experience, your full, first full experience watching this. Would you like to give your quick thoughts on the film? I want to say real quick, I did not hate this movie. Believe it or not, Diego. <laughs> but I do regret watching it. Because it's it was exactly what I thought it was going to be. With no real surprises. A, a couple, but nothing really. And it's so fucking long. It is exceptionally long. I will never rewatch it. I don't care about it that much. There were moments of brilliance. And tr- I mean, I mean, true brilliance. Whoa, I didn't expect that. That uh, was refreshing. Um, I would say there's about 20 minutes of brilliance in this film. And then the rest is not brilliant. Aww. But I get why people like it. But I'm not one of those people. I've heard it described as very... Uh, I think Jay Bruchel actually is a fan of this film. And he had said that, you know, he knows it's like not a popular opinion, but he considers it to be like one of those weird like indie art house films that just has, happens to have like a one of the biggest budgets ever. And I don't know if I fully agree with that, but I do kind of see what he's saying. And we kind of brought it up earlier too, where it's very specific. No, it is. It, it, it definitely is like one of those indie art house films that gets a lot of press and then you see it and then it takes about 10 years for people to realize, oh no, that was kind of bad. <laughs> no, it took me like 30 minutes into me, Earl and the Dying Girl to realize, oh, I hate this. So... <laughs> but there's you know there's that there's that brand of indie film where like it takes people a while to realize that it's more indicative of problems of its era. <laughs> um I am a fan of Batman v Superman. I Of course you fucking are. It not all of it works. Get people hating it, get people loving it. Um there's definitely stuff that just does not work for me. Uh but I th- think i don't even i wouldn't even say it's hearts in the right place admittedly but i think Zack snyder and i have different opinions on hearts i i'm fascinated by this movie not all of it is intentional but i'm i'm fascinated by the history like we went over i'm fascinated by the ideas whether or not some of them are more intentional than others uh i i i do not regret watching this film and yet there's so much of it that i just have trouble getting on board with too I think the principal problem for me is still Superman. Yeah, I think if 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 there's a spot in this film that I think, I guess we'll get in more into it. With, but Superman's the biggest letdown of this film. I don't think they thought Superman out very well. There's so much happening for Batman. There's simultaneously too much thinking about Superman and not enough. <laughs> You know, well, here's here's the thing. Zack Snyder, uh, when the film initially was released, he had said that there are two main characters. Uh, there's three main characters in the film. There's Superman, there's Batman. 
And then the third one he considered to be the main character is the media. Because the film is very much about, like, perception and perspective. Oh, no, yeah. really? <laughs> oh, no. Um, Batman v Superman, Dawn of Fake News. Oh, ugh, God. My kingdom for something that does not reference fake news whenever there's journalism shit involved anymore. Yeah, but that's what this film's saying. Oh, God. I think it's so interested in what people want to feel and explore about Superman that it kind of casts a big shadow over Superman as a character himself in this film. You just took this film down like a full fucking peg for me. This is why I don't read Zack Snyder interviews. It's research, Matthew. Yeah, but um, I read one interview and I was like, that's enough. No, but for sure. It's, uh, Superman's only connection to humanity. Again, not necessarily something that needed uh, to be in this film. Cause, cause, all right, because I just got to say, the other part of this movie that fucking clangs like big time is anytime any of the Daily Planet stuff is happening. Oh, you weren't a fan of uh, Perry White name dropping? The American conscience died with Robert, Martin, and John. Well, this movie makes it very clear that the media doesn't care about ideas at all. It just cares about, you know, sound bites. Which is a great point to make when your film is made up, like, 50% of the media and sound bites. <laughs> um, oh, God, this is an exhausting movie. No, it's very it's um, very tiring. I say this I as just a fan. The, the, the stuff just, like... It was one of those things where, like, I, you know, it's very clear he's making a point about the media, like, early on. Like, I didn't know he thought he was the third main character, but now that makes perfect sense (laughs) as to why this film is bad. Um, Because, like, but every time Perry White comes on screen and is like, Clark, where's the fucking thing about the football team? And it's like, dude, like, I, we get it. (laughs) Like... It was just exhausting, you know? It just got so tiring. What a better opening. There's a scene like an hour into this fucking movie where we just get a bunch of talking heads talking about Superman and like a montage of him doing things. Why is that not the opening of the movie? Okay, so here. Here's my thing on the opening. So even though this is a follow-up to Man of Steel, this is very clearly more interested in the, the ideology of Batman. Yeah. Um, and I think that is genuinely a mistake. I, I think the movie is actually saying some interesting stuff with it, but I think that is fundamentally a mistake. I want to say, I think the best thing in this movie is Batman. Uh, Which, ben Affleck or the character or both? Just what they did with Batman in it. I have some questions about some of the elements. In terms of like finally going full crazy Batman... I kind of, I really enjoyed that stuff. I, I did too. Psychopathic Batman um, is something I will miss dearly going into the future. And, but again, it's one of those things where the movie kind of ends in a bad spot because I think, I will say the, until you mentioned the media thing, um, the biggest problem I mentioned earlier with this film is that it has to set up the bigger DCEU and all of that stuff just drags. And so you can't end Batman in a place where you need to end him in this film. So the opening, because this book ended by funerals, Bruce, Bruce Wayne attending funerals as a child uh, for his parents and as an adult for Superman. The, do you know what the next scene is? 
followed up by the the funeral procession. Well, the funeral is also interspliced with his his parents getting shot, um, and there's like a cannon going off when Superman's dying or something. Yeah. Okay. So when Bruce Wayne uh, discovers the Batcave, that's that's uh, interspliced with the Wayne's death. And you cut to the present in the aftermath of Man of Steel and the, the devastation. But that's also a dream. That's also a dream. It's a dream, but it's representative of what he believes he saw as a child. Like it's it's this weird like metaphor that's mixed with reality. It's but the, the intent is clear. It's it's drawing a line between the violence that Bruce Wayne has endured as a child and the fight that like or the, the thing that like launched his crusade against crime. And so as he he's you know, when he's orphaned that trauma carried with him to an adult. And then who does he save in the opening on Metropolis? The last person he saves is a little girl who just lost her parents in Superman's battle with Zod over Metropolis. Superman or Batman um, marks Superman for dead. The moment he realizes uh, that he's just orphaned a bunch of kids. Like that's, that's like the very surface level reading of that, but that's, what pivots him to like the idea that Superman is a threat to mankind. I don't think that's why you don't think so. I think that's how he justifies it in his own mind. Oh, well of course it's totally like his own justification, but I'm saying, but I'm saying, I think, I think to, to Bruce Wayne, Superman represents an inevitability that he can't accept. And that's why he's driven against them. He has the power to wipe out the entire human race. And if we believe there's even a 1% chance that he is our enemy, we have to take it as an absolute certainty. I, I think that's also why... Uh, this turned me off to the movie when I first saw it in theaters, too, along with several other families, because I saw mothers and fathers walk out with their children, because it's an incredibly dark and violent movie. So I totally get that. But Did they walk out during this opening? Uh, I, I saw the first family walk out during the Africa sequence, and then what happened in the middle? The, the truck chase in the middle. Uh, turn oh, off okay. a lot of people, and then finally, some people at the end when Batman just stabs a man in the heart. But <laughs> yeah, hey, I, I I like it now, but back then I was like, this is uh, this is wrong. Uh, and like, no, it's not for kids. Fuck? Not for kids. Def definitely not for uh, kids. No, no, no. Yeah, for sure. Another not not great idea if you're starting your cinematic universe. <laughs> yeah, like how is that going to sustain uh, itself? You know. Well, I want to say I I think the opening of this movie. The two flashbacks, I guess. Um, the second one is really uh, brilliant. Um, it's a really good mission statement of the film. Um, uh, with it, it gets it gives the humanity to this film that Man of Steel desperately lacked. Um, I like the idea of seeing this destruction, you know, from the ground level, from Bruce Wayne's level, and that we are immediately confronted with consequences. To what happened? Because this is entirely a movie about consequences, um, and which is something that is usually brushed aside in films of similar scale. You don't see consequences like that. I think Zack Snyder has a big problem with, and I probably do too on some level. Consequences um, and failure, I think, are a big part mm -hmm. of this film too, because uh, we're we're starting this with a Batman who's lost a Robin. And again, this is not... I, I don't think this is a strength of the film. I think this is a, a legitimate problem. That it relies on our foreknowledge of the Batman mythos and character to yeah. give us this information. That's a genuine problem. But 
as it, that would be a problem on its own. But the other problem is that you don't you can't tell that that's a Robin suit if you don't like if you didn't read something <laughs> before this movie. You know, uh, I I, like, I could see someone uh, not versed in this having trouble with it, like casual casual film goers for sure. But like, imagine imagine you know because that's lifted not with the ha 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 Joker bullshit, but the Robin costume kind of in glass is lifted directly from Dark Knight Returns, the comic. Mm-hmm. Except in that comic, it's the bright, colorful Robin suit, you know? Yeah. So you immediately know what that is. And here it's just, it looks like another bat suit. <laughs> um, which I think, it's, I don't know, that's... that's it's, it's weird, not great, but we're starting Not with... great visual storytelling right there. No, no, but we're starting with a Batman and Bruce Wayne that has basically lost hope in humanity. Like, he's killing dudes. Although in the extended cut, you, you find out that the people that he's marking for, in, for uh, like, with the bat symbol in prison are being mm. assassinated by Luther Henchmen. But he's still killing people outside of prison, so I don't understand the necessity for that. Yeah, it's 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 weird. Yeah, that, it's, it's all it's, fucking. Weird. It's a little it's a little odd. I, I that's the other thing. Once it becomes clear that Lex Luthor's like Lex Luthor's behind it all, like once that becomes obvious, it makes everything so boring. And you know, Lex Luthor's behind everything from like the get go. <laughs> you know, like you're a you're the biggest space? Superman fan I know. You, you mm-hmm. don't you don't like Superman, but what are your thoughts on Lex Luthor? Um, I actually really like Lex Luthor. Yes, um, yes. I, <laughs> I know uh, a lot of people. I know he was controversial. Um, I think there are times when he's not written super well, or like it's a little much. But I like what he's going for. Um, I like that he's like a Silicon Valley asshole. You know. Mm-hmm. He's like talking about how he's like changing the world and helping, but he's a weapons manufacturer. Um, there's a there's a line I'm a huge fan of that kind of boils down his entire mythos. Well, there's a couple. I'm gonna link them to right here. The bittersweet pain among men is having knowledge with no power, because because that is paradoxical. And um, <laughs> thank you for coming, Clark, Joseph. See, what we call God depends upon our tribe, Clark Joe. Because God is tribal. God takes sides. No man in the sky intervened when I was a boy to deliver me from daddy's fists and abominations. Mm. I figured out way back. God is all-powerful. He cannot be all-good. And if he is all-good, then he cannot be all-powerful. And neither can you be. They need to see the fraud you are. With their eyes. The blood on your hands. I think that's a really great moment. And I really like this version of Lex Luthor that's just so frustrated at his own, like, not inadequacies, but like how he's someone who struggled through life to achieve this, like, power and wealth. Uh, And how there's always going to be someone who is more powerful than him just by existing. And he can't comprehend the Superman's existence with the reality that he grew to understand and he, how he wants to be like the hand that smites, but also the hand that feeds That's why he feeds the Senator that Jolly Rancher bit. 
which did throw me off at first originally. And now I'm like, oh, this is fucking great. This is, I love this. You know what? Like all, there was all this shit people complained about. None of it bothered me. <laughs> like all the weird stuff. I was like, I get it. Yeah. No, it's just like, like, it's, it's a huge mess and not all of it works. And it's very nihilistic and so cynical to the point where it does try to reach a, an optimistic conclusion. I don't think it earned it, but I do think that final moment works, uh, which we will get back to because there's, there's some more stuff I got to talk about, I think. You'll have to remind me because I definitely zoned out by the end of this movie. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Um, but uh, let's talk about the end of humanity. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, all right. Because to me, I think what they were trying to do with Lex Luthor, who is actually the third main character of this film. Fuck that media shit. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I get it, but Metal Gear Solid did it better. Which I think I'm the only person to ever say about anything. Batman and Lex Luthor cannot grapple with the fact that Superman is here to destroy capitalism. <laughs> That's really what it is. Um, Superman represents an inevitability that doesn't just... It's not even a thought experiment. It's not even, we're not even It doesn't even require him coming to Earth, like our Earth. For this to happen we're rapidly approaching an era where how we live our lives will just be incompatible with capitalism right it, it's it's coming soon if, if you're not paying attention that's just where automation is going it's where resources are going um and i'm not that's you know that kind of should be a good thing you know mm -hmm. i think the weirdest thing about this decade about this century is that there's like two obvious choices in front of us one is a free and open society, a new world where we are not bound by the constraints of today, where no, it won't require money, it won't require, like, resources will be plentiful, we, we're just, we just gotta go a little further with technology and energy and we can get to it. And then the other is certain death. <laughs> In the form of encroaching global warming. And, but to go to the good ending, we have to get all the billionaires to stop being billionaires. And what we're learning is the billionaires are choosing death. <laughs> and that is what both Lex Luthor and Batman are doing in this film. I love this take. <laughs> that, hey, that's what I got out of it. Um... The problem is that Superman is just super boring in this movie. Uh, there's um, there there are genuine issues with him, but I do want to say there's a moment I love that is not earned, but I love it regardless. Uh, where after the the explosion at the Capitol and he flees to a mountain to to find headspace or something. It's it's very unclear. I don't think that that idea works. But oh god, I definitely wasn't paying attention when that <laughs> that was at the moment when I texted you and I said I'm done. <laughs> Like, I saw Kevin Costner, and I was just like, fuck this. Um, I like, I didn't like any of the Kevin Costner stuff in Man of Steel. Uh, it's all jibber-jabber that's really great in a trailer that still makes you emotional and does nothing for me in the movie. It's a shame, because Kevin Costner is really solid. Right. Yeah, Kevin Kevin Costner is not the problem, for sure. Um, and his moment here with, with Clark, he's telling him the story about how, um, you know, they solved one problem at their farm and it caused problems for another farm down the way. And it, 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 they saved their horses, but it cost the other farm their horses. 
and stuff like that. And I don't, I think that's nonsense, but it's just this moment between, uh, a, a man and his father who's no longer with them. He he always used to go to him for guidance. Again, something that I'm filling in the blanks here because Man of Steel did not work for me, but I thought it was really touching and kind of kind of. That's sad. the thing. This movie, this movie has all this stuff with Superman where it's like everyone loves him. Well, a lot of people love him, and he had this great relationship with his father, <laughs> and he has difficulty grasping with the consequences of his actions, which is stuff that is like never established. Yeah, that's really the kind of the big problem. I think if all this stuff was established, it would at least work better for everyone, uh, myself included. And again, fan. I really like the part when uh, Kevin Costner took off his mask and revealed a robot face and said, you want to protect the world, but you don't want it to change. <laughs> <laughs> I thought we weren't going to talk about those movies during this one. <laughs> well, no, we can talk about events that happen in those movies. <laughs> I'm just not going to give an opinion on that. Okay. Uh, but uh, there's some similarities uh and yeah yes there are which is this is the one time this is this is what i have to bring up because i think it's a very important point something that that doesn't separate marvel and dc fans but i think gives two movies in their overs um a very distinct uh reaction from the audience bvs is DC is Age of Ultron. No, that is definitely true. Okay. I would agree with that 100%. Uh, there's uh there there are people that have brought that up before. I'm not I'm not a genius, but um both films challenge the status quo or attempt to challenge the status quo in dialogue to talk talk about quality or opinions on it. I'm just saying that it's they have very clear intentions to bring up issues that the characters have with their world or the world has with their characters. And they're both <laughs> wrestling. <laughs> what? I, I just, I, every time we talk about it, but go ahead. I, I'm, no, I'm going to be good this okay. time. Okay. But they are both wrestling with, like, trying to tell an actual story and having to support a cinematic universe. Yes, yes, that, that is very true. And uh, both both are fall to similar fates. <laughs> uh, in terms of, of reception... For sure. I'm just saying it. it it's it, there's a reason why you like it and I don't. No. Oh yeah. BBS. No, no, definitely. Um, and I think a, people's mileage also varies depending on if they prefer Whedon's work or Snyder's, because that that's also a big thing. They're staunch defenders of this. I'm not, I don't and, even think it comes down to that. I think it comes down to one of those films being an hour shorter. <laughs> but yeah, the the big thing here is just that Superman doesn't really work in the sequel to his own movie, and it's. I think if that fit for me, I would be an even bigger fan of this. I would like actively defend it. If Superman, here's here's I think the problem. There's this. I took so many notes about the African village scene. <laughs> Do you want to talk about it? Um, no, I don't. Okay. Um, other than that, Jimmy Olsen gets shot in the head. Oh my god! Oh yeah, <laughs> which was Zack Snyder's little joke. <laughs> um, you know, Zack, what the fuck, dude? <laughs> as as you do, um. <laughs> Which, uh, yeah. Yeah. How did someone let him do that? That's my real question. Like, I don't, I'm not shocked that he did it. I'm not even saying it was the wrong choice. I'm just shocked he was allowed to do it. This whole movie is, I'm shocked they let him do that. Which is apparently, it's kind of like, here you go. Along with Age of Ultron, this is Zack Snyder's Batman Returns. Because after this movie came out, the producers were like, whoa. (laughs) 
Wouldn't have been amazing Whoa. if they got Joel Schumacher to do Justice League. Oh, God, yeah. I'm all about that. I wanted him to who's, do Infinity wait, who's, War. Who's the modern Joel Schumacher? Uh, I don't know. We don't have enough queer directors. Yeah, who's flamboyantly gay but also an incompetent boob? Ooh. <laughs> um, I'm just saying. Oh, God, I don't know. If you're here's honestly here's the best life advice you're ever going to get. If you're an incompetent boob, lean into the gay. You'll you'll make a beautiful life. Oh my god. Um, but there's this whole scene with this fucking African village war, this African warlord, and there's stuff about the United States, which kind of got me thinking like maybe Superman's meant to represent the United States because uh, he's the guy's talking about you know. Like, men of power don't follow the rules. They make their own. And then the U.S. government breaks the rules that were established, that they even professed about the Civil War, right? Mm -hmm. um, which is also a fake news moment. But there's a scene where the guy takes Lois Lane hostage, and Superman comes flying in. And there's a lot of ways Superman could solve that situation. And the way he does, I think, indicates that Zack Snyder doesn't get Superman. I I stand by that take. I don't think Snyder yeah. understands Superman. He understand. I don't think he understands well, generally. Well, you, know you know what? It's not even... I don't even want to say he doesn't understand Superman, because that's always like, you know, it feels like a nerd kind of being like, I've read 30,000 <laughs> comics. I know what's right. But uh, it to me, it, it really comes down to that Zack Snyder, he talked up every interview that I read, which was one. <laughs> but he repeated it over and over again in this interview. He was talking about how he wanted to bring realism to Superman. And his definition of realism seems to be consequences. And his idea of consequences only seems to surround violence and destruction. <laughs> he doesn't seem to understand expressing consequences in another way, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, not to bring another Ultron comparison, but there's a scene in Age of Ultron where uh, Hawkeye is injured, right? Yeah. And they, they spray him with that stuff that like heals him instantly. Well, it doesn't. They have to take him back to the lab. It's a whole thing. But yeah, but it, it's still, it you know, it helps him. Yeah. And it's quicker than any fucking surgery that one could have. Um, that The existence of that would change the world. <laughs> And that film doesn't acknowledge that. That's a, that's another way to... You can explore positive consequences. <laughs> and you can even explore the negative side of positive consequences, which I think this film tries to do, which is like with this whole thing where like Superman's like, oh, I'm trying to help, but it's causing more problems. But we don't really get the side of him helping too much. We get one shot of him saving uh, people from a burning building during Day of the Dead in Mexico City or something like that. And I hate yeah. that shot. Because it just, it just turns uh, Mexicans into like some nebulous form that's like yeah. hanging their hands over him. Like, I hate that. I, I Fuck everyone with that. I'm sorry. What I was I, with Warner Brothers in that time using Day of the Dead imagery? I have no idea. What else did they do? Because they, they did it in this and... Uh, Spectre. Spectre was Warner Brothers. Um, yeah, they do the they do don't they do the James Bond films? I don't even know. I thought it was Sony. Who the fuck does James Bond? I thought I thought Warner Brothers did, like MGM owns it, but I think Warner Brothers owns the MGM's holding. Oh, I don't know, but I actually like I the use of it in Spectre. I I, I hate the use mm -hmm. of it here because it's not 
a point of like anything. It's just like here's some fancy imagery. You know what? There's definitely meaning to it, but it's not worth going into. <laughs> well, he's trying to be like, oh, Superman's surrounded by the dead, even when he's like saving or like doing good. You know, like this is all that he sees around him or something like that. And it's like that's not what Day of the Dead's about. It's 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 uh it's gross and exploitative to me. So I I, I cannot abide that one. I like what about Coco. Uh, Coco, I really like. I was surprised by how much cool. I liked that one because that was a big concern for me going into. There's issues. I brought up for sure. I but. just brought up Coco to myself and I started crying. <laughs> <laughs> Remember me? Oh no! Don't do that. Uh, no, no, no. Oh god! <laughs> like Coco, how could you? But um, there's a montage of Superman saving people. Under, under, like, different, like, talking heads. Which, again, I just don't get why you don't start the movie with that. Or at least do that earlier than an hour in. I think you, you, that should have been done after the, the Metropolis flashback. Honestly, um, you could do that, but I, it would have worked also if you had done it, like, right at the beginning. Maybe show the funeral scene a little bit. Because you want to, if you want to bookend it with funerals, and then just add the the Metropolis scene to a nightmare vision of Batman. I, I, like I think it would be cooler. I think it would be cooler, and I don't mean to rewrite this. I'm sorry. This is like not usually super interesting, but I think it'd be cooler if like we did a Batman scene that starts out like a fun Batman scene, you know, and then in the end he's like branding a guy, <laughs> and it's like, well, what the fuck happened to Batman? <laughs> And then we reveal the, oh, he was there when the Metropolis shit went down. Oh, this is what I wanted to talk. So the film, again, like, uses our prior knowledge of the Batman mythos uh, to be like, look at how far Batman's fallen. Uh, I'm not going to bring up Zack Snyder's comments about this because I, I don't think it's important. I just want to say, also, even to, also to say, um, I will bring up Zack Snyder's comments, but uh, <laughs> I want to say that... He he's not just saying that this is what has happened to Batman. He's kind of saying this is what Batman is. See, that's the thing. Okay, so I guess I kind of do have to bring it up. So the big defense of this film that I actually agree with is that it is a fallen Batman because he by the end of the film it, it seems that he's more enlightened. He like he got what Superman meant to humanity, even if the film might not exactly. Um, but there's. There, there's like a humanity that's lacking in not seeing it having been uh, like like taken away prior to that, you know, or like um, the the we talked about the no kill rule with Man of Steel, like that wasn't a big deal, and then the big third act like climax hinges on it, so it, it doesn't feel like it, it runs hollow, it doesn't feel true, and we don't understand that Batman had a no kill rule prior to this or during this. I don't believe he did. I, I'm starting to, to lean that way too, but like, that's the big arc of the character that works for me. So I think I'm going to still keep running with that take. Well, I think I, I he maybe wasn't always this way, but I think Zack Snyder's saying that's the this is the only way Batman can end up. I think he I think that's what he's saying. Because um, again, to, to be uh, to talk about my idea about the fear of the end of capitalism. Um, Batman is constantly talking about how, like, shit doesn't change, it's always the same, you know, criminals don't, you take out a criminal, someone replaces him, 
So Batman lives in a world of conflict, which is partially why he's he's given it up. Like he's you know he's a he's a his crusade failed, the Cape Crusader failed, and that's interesting. But he's back because of Superman, because Superman does represent change, or at least that's what they're trying to do. It's it is weird when I just gotta I, I, we gotta talk about Zack Snyder's comments. Um, well, he's convinced that Batman didn't kill anybody in this movie. What? <laughs> this, this is real. Uh, I made a noise I didn't know I could make. <laughs> well, okay. No, there's there's twofold. One interview has him saying that Batman didn't actually kill anybody. And then another one saying, well, in The Dark Knight Returns, Batman killed people and no one batted an eye. And not that not that the, the artist is like the final like declaration of people's own read on a certain piece of art or anything like that. <laughs> but this is definitely what kept me at arm's length prior to enjoying this film now. Um, all right. Uh, well, I mean, I did, I also, I told you that quote during Batman Returns where, uh, Tim Burton believes that his Batman doesn't actually kill anyone. That, because they're cartoons, that it's, it's not real. <laughs> Zack Snyder does not believe he's making cartoons. <laughs> I know, I know, but it's still funny. Oh no, it's hilarious. Um, but to me, I have a bigger problem with that with that interview that happened recently with Zack Snyder, where he's like, "If you have, where you, it's like lost your virginity to this and movie." It's, it's he clearly he's associating this shit with like masculine qualities, you know? Yeah, it's 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 a weird pathology, um, and I don't believe there's an irony to it. I, I don't believe he was just. Uh, with with also with the amount of like Lois Lane being like more man than the men around her, like there's something up. He associates like masculinity with violence, and he associates masculinity as being a good thing. <laughs> so violence is good. Yeah, it, it's very mixed messaging from from this and all of his works, I would say. Uh, and so that's that's where my like my reads on him and his films like really kind of flounder you know uh like even you i think we, we, you were you were texting me before you rewatched this because you were getting like you, you were seeing a lot more like at least interesting criticism about the film and what it means and stuff like that but then you just watch it in action or you hear him talk about it it's kind of hard to not be like well maybe that's not what he's trying to do because sometimes he'll straight up say that's not what he was trying to do I would argue we are having a very interesting conversation right now. I also would. From a movie I did not enjoy and will not revisit. <laughs> so, you know, there's there's stuff in this movie. It's just not a well-made movie. I know that's like a boring take. You know, to just go like, it's not made very well. But it's just not made very well. And... I wish it was better because I think there's a lot to this, but I guess there's like, the, I, like what else, what else can we really talk about? Uh, I really love the ending to this. Again, it's, it's ending hinges on something that is. All right, well, what do you mean? What do you mean ending? The funeral. Because we also, we, we're brushing over uh, the third, the final hour of this film, which has the Batman and Superman finally fighting. <laughs> And then Batman and Superman teaming up to take down Lex Luthor. And then Doomsday. 
And then the death of Superman. It's so much. And then the the epilogue. Okay. I all, uh, you know so what? I'm what, glad you brought this back up because we got to talk about the elephant. So what in the ending? Room. All right. Really quick before that, uh, save Martha. Did that work for you this time? Oh, it did. Doesn't work at all. Mm. But it's got to be a joke, right? Here's the thing. I like the idea of Batman finding the humanity in an enemy that he saw none in pr- uh, prior. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I get all that. Yeah. Fuck that. But. That's got to be a joke. I, I there's don't no think other so. way that was that was meant to be serious. You know what? He's got to be tell. I don't know to what end <laughs> it's a joke, but it's it, there's it only plays as funny. You know what? It ki- kind of worked for me after he hits him over the head with a sink. Oh no! He throws literally everything in the kitchen sink at him. But <laughs> yeah, like that's a joke. It's a comedy beat. <laughs> And I just don't get, like, again, it's like, it's clearly a joke. And I know Zack Snyder would do a joke like that. But I just don't know to what end. Maybe. And again, this, I, this I, I, be... I totally get the idea that they would bond over, like, a family thing. Like, because Batman's, like, I get that that would stop Batman. Honestly, it's so, what makes it funnier is that fucking Affleck sells the shit out of it. Oh, he's so good in this. He got fucked like, over so hard by these movies. Cavill, Cavill's kind of like, Martha! That's a little weird. Because he's trying to be a dying Superman and they just don't know how to do it. <laughs> and, but, like, he's like, what do you mean by that name? How do you know? It's so good, it's funny. <laughs> oh god, it's so sad. Affleck was so good in this movie. Um, it's tragic what happened. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're not really going to spend time talking about Justice League, really. Uh, I I did not like that movie, but people like Ray Fisher in particular, uh, I, I think that kid's got a lot of talent, and he also just did not get the chance to do anything Yeah, in this. It's ever, everyone, everyone except Wonder Woman, apparently, and Aquaman now. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we haven't talked about Aquaman in a while. Aquaman's great. There you go. Um, but, Aquaman. But, hey. <laughs> uh, but look at those fucking fish. The the Martha scene does does work for me. Not not in the execution, just the idea of it. That's what saves. That's I think that's what mm-hmm. saves this whole movie for me. I like the ideas more than I do even in Man of Steel, and the execution gets close enough to work, and sometimes even straight up does work that I find myself alleviated and content. With, with what the film is trying to do. So by the end, I mean the funeral scene. After after Clark dies. Okay. Uh, and we see... We should also mention Doomsdays in this film. Uh, that's the worst part. But I also that like the idea definitely... that it's Lex Luthor's creation. Something about like the idea of, of the worst Lex of Luthor's humanity creation, bringing it down. Lex Luthor's creation made out of Kryptonian technology. That's interesting. Uh, should have been its own movie. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's everything with Lex Luthor. I also really like. But the 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 twofold funerals, the one the public has for Superman, and then the private one at his home for Clark Kent. I really like those two matched together. And the first time I saw it, I was like, Why are they focusing on like these military barrages into the sky and stuff like that? Like these guns going off. Like, of course, Zack Snyder's gonna like fetishize this this fucking military funeral for Superman. But then. It all kind of hit me at once where 
there was an interview with Zack Snyder saying that at reading the, crit- the the negative reviews of this film, he said, this is the only way I know how to do it. And it's kind of sad, but it was also enlightening. <laughs> this is the only way he knows how to like approach superheroes with the mythological being grounded by the most excessive American force possible in the U.S. military. Uh, also seen in, in parts of Watchmen and stuff too. But grounding it through one person. He cannot ground Superman through humanity as a whole, but he can ground Superman through Lois Lane and his mother Martha. And it, it all just sank sank in for me there. I was like, whoa, this movie it's it's again doesn't fully work, but these ideas are sound enough that I, I walked away feeling better about the movie. And the idea that Superman's death like what he fought for, I don't know, but it ins- whatever it was, it inspired people like Wonder Woman, who was also in this, um, and Batman, who had <laughs> who had. For- there are so many. We didn't even mention that <laughs> Jodie Foster's in this or whatever. Jodie Foster, what the fuck? Helen Hunt. Oh, is that Helen Hunt? Oh, Helen Hunt. Is that, is Shit, that who that I, is? I, I, Holly Hunter. Holly Hunter. Holly Hunter. Thank you, thank you. Um, <laughs> and Jeremy Irons. Oh, great Alfred. My biggest regret. Now that I look back, but there really just wasn't enough to talk about, is that I didn't get to say Scoot McNary like thirty times. Oh, that's a yeah. He, well, he dies after like five minutes of screen time. Wow, that subplot was really worth it. <laughs> um, but that I, that ending's really touching to me. That these people learn mm. to to have faith again, not not in systems. Or, or even like symbols, but in people, I think that's that's an awesome message to leave. A movie as cynical and nihilistic as this to end on, and then that little bit of touch, like a half second before they cut to black, where the dirt starts to rise in Superman's grave, does not track for the next film. But I don't care. I, I don't care about Justice League, so that's okay. And uh, yeah, that I find myself being a fan of Batman versus Superman in 2019. Good for you. Thank you. I'll never watch it again. Not not trying to convince you. This is just for me. Yeah. Um I would I would like it to go away. I <laughs> know uh, I wouldn't, but Boys! Mm. Bruce Wayne meets Clark Kent. Ah, I love it. I love bringing people together. How are we? Lex. Hi, hello. Lex, it is a pleasure. Ow. Wow. That is a good grip. You should not pick a fight with this person. You know the oldest line America Senator? That power can be innocent. Uh, and that that was the last we saw of uh, Zack Snyder's full, I guess, vision for the DCEU. Everything else has been kind of in flux, evolved, moved on without him. Uh, and it's it's honestly kind of a bummer, even for people like like me who are, are mixed on his films to say the least. Um uh, I don't. I don't know how you feel about it, but I don't. I don't think that matters um, right now. <laughs> I don't know. I really don't know, um, because honestly, I think one thing we didn't really get a chance to talk about was that, as much as this has spawned a lot of hatred towards the film, it's also spawned its own weird cult that surrounds it. <laughs> and I don't want to say everyone. I don't, everyone that likes this film, I'm not saying that they're part of it. There's every fan base has that weird part, but. The Zack Snyder fans are, the Snyder Cut fans are particularly antagonistic in some areas. It's, it's genuinely and, unhealthy. 
Yeah, and I think it really just comes down to the fact that one of these things that this shared universe nonsense has done to us is that now we don't get reboots, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. So when you do Superman, that's how Superman's going to be for, like, at least a decade. <laughs> Apparently that's the thing that's holding them out for a Man of Steel sequel. Yeah. Um, it's a it's continues to be a roadblock um, and was very awkward in Shazam. Um, I haven't seen but, it yet, but I know the scene you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but there's just a... I think it just, I'm not even, it has nothing to do, I think, I think it has less to do with the film itself and more to do with just the place that culture has put us in. Because I honestly think if the shoe was on the other foot and Marvel was the universe that like kind of crashed and burned and DC was the one going really well right now, um, we'd be talking about how annoying Marvel fans are. <laughs> I, I just think that by the grace of God, <laughs> it, it went the other way. Um... So, but, and it's just, I do think there's some uncomfortable politics in these films that people don't seem to maybe, I, I honestly, I can't tell you what was intended. I don't really know, but there are certainly readings that can be taken in a very liberal way and a very right wing way. And the right wing way seems to be one of the more popular ones. I'm not, I am not talking in universals and I'm not saying they all agree. I am just no, no, of course, yeah, yeah, but I, I also think it's important to mention people like uh, Richard L. Newby, a fantastic writer for the Heat Vision, the Hollywood Reporter, is also a big Snyder fan. He's also, you know, clearly not hard right wing at all. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, um, yeah. No, some of the biggest people I that love this I, that I know are like hardcore lefties. Yeah, or Jillian Miles, friend of ours, who sent us a fascinating graphic. We'll get into um, more indecipherable than Bob Dylan's poetry. <laughs> Hey, look at that. Yeah, okay. Yeah, there it is. Um, so, I can't make heads or tails of this, but what I think was the... This, is, this was, to be clear, Zack Snyder's supposed plan. Five movie plan. Let's wind the clock back one second. Which is that Zack Snyder was working on Justice League. The script was finished by the release date of BVS, and they were going to shoot like a month away, Right? Like, and then BBS comes out and just fucking gets the shit kicked out of it critically. <laughs> and Warner Brothers executives panic to the point of inviting, like, some of their harshest nerd critics to the set. You remember that? Oh, God, yeah. The sign yeah, of good like, faith. Like, look, it's more yeah. fun. Yeah, look, oh, hey, we're doing, it's going to be a fun <laughs> movie. Yeah, blah, blah, blah. And that was, like, already when you're like, yep, it's doomed. Um... <laughs> And tragically, uh, Zack Snyder left the project because of the suicide of his daughter, um, which is just heartbreaking. Yeah. Um, yeah, my heart goes out to him. And uh, he, so he didn't really get a chance to finish it, and Joss Whedon was brought on to finish it. Um, through more, there's more to it than that, but that's basically what happened. You could um, not and, get more disparate tones in a movie. Yeah, and it's you, there's such an obvious shift in it, even in just the marketing, you know. Yeah, and uh, and it, it went from he was making two films back to back to suddenly it was just one film, 
And then they just stopped talking about another one. And then it seems like everything kind of stalled in the DCEU for a bit. And because they also, the other movie that came out was Suicide Squad, which I think a lot of the criticisms that get thrown at BVS could more accurately be applied to Suicide Squad. God, yeah, there was a point that first year, the 2016, and I was like, BVS, awful. Suicide Squad, awful. But I don't know if it's as bad as BVS. I caught like 15 minutes of Suicide Squad. Uh, like last year, and I was like, "What the fuck was I thinking?" Oh my yeah. god, that movie's that is, unwatchable. That, it a is, major studio released an unfinished film of that caliber. That's crazy. Yeah. And I think I think a lot of the criticisms that get thrown at Zack Snyder, even some maybe from me that are unfair, I think could accurately be applied to David Ayer. <laughs> <laughs> I think I only have his entire filmography to back me up. <laughs> um, but. Which which was a big hit, but also was critically reviled, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think the worst thing that could possibly have happened to him, happened to him, which is that Wonder Woman was a huge hit. Which was a given. And honestly, I like Wonder Woman, but it's not like a great film. <laughs> and I, so they're, they, they can't, they can't just reboot everything now. Because Wonder <laughs> Woman became such a thing, you know? Like, yeah, I think it's the uh, it's the ultimate win lose situation. Yeah, but I, I will go, I'll take it to task. I think Wonder Woman's actually very good. Uh, great, I know I, I, I like think I, on the verge, but I like Wonder Woman enough. But I, I you know what, this is where I will just say I'm too much of a fanboy. I think um, Wonder Woman was my favorite of the DC heroes, and like I don't think a movie could get it right. <laughs> And and I'm also talking about a comics that are wildly, wildly disparate in how they interpret her, and uh, including a run that was very uh, critically lauded, critically celebrated, I should say, and uh, I think was probably some of the worst Wonder Woman stuff ever. <laughs> so, from the, the new Fifty Two, um, Wonder Woman. Mm, I, I, I've heard that actually a lot recently, so I did not think it's as critically lauded as it once was. I think people kind of turned around on it, but at the time, I, w- I felt like I was the only, like, you know, I was like a man without a country. And that was another thing that kind of primed me to hate these films, is because there was, like, all this nonsense corporate synergy going, man, they really bet on this fucking movie. Yeah. Because they, oh, rebe- they rebooted the entire DC comic book universe, which was kind of like the my, you know... It, it was a signal for me to grow up a little because <laughs> I suddenly realized that, oh, these are products that someone owns and is selling to me. Because it, it killed me reading comics because I hated the new 52 reboot. And I, it was, but it was done at the behest of kind of helping to prime this cinematic universe they were doing because suddenly they rebooted the Justice League with Cyborg as a member, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. What a mistake. Uh, back to that graphic really quick, though, before before we start winding down a little bit. Uh, it is basically like a Rosetta Stone. <laughs> uh, if you could figure it out, you could figure out the plan. And for me, I, I don't think I see any sort of through line apart from the actual lines in there. Well, I want to say all I can see in it is plot points, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, possible, like, oh, there's a child, there's this, there's that. There's nothing thematic about it. And that was really disappointing, honestly. 
And that's the thing. Everything that's leaked up. Because here's the thing. When they, when all this stuff finally crashed and burned, and then whatever the plans were got aborted, um, I started thinking about, well, what were they going to do? And there was all the talk about how Superman was going to come back as evil, right? Yeah, that was the big and thing the, for a while. Which the, apparently the new, was true. Yeah, yeah. And the new gods were going to play a big part. Dark Side was going to be a big part of it. Um, which I think... Honestly, and one thing I want to say, not to make a comparison too much, but I, I do believe that the the reason Superman dies in BVS is because they realized Marvel had announced they were doing Captain America Civil War. And I do think there was a there it's I'm willing to bet there was a board meeting where they said we want to do the super, we want to kill our superhero before Marvel has a chance to kill Captain America. We want to be the first one to grab that headline, you know? Yeah. Because at, at this point, starting their universe, they have to just kind of beat Marvel before Marvel can do it, you know? They, they have to be the first one to get a female superhero out, which they did do, unfortunately. Um, I mean, fucking Marvel, Jesus Christ. But uh, one of the things, I do think they positioned the new gods in a way to try and just get out before Thanos, you know, happened. You know, kind of like maybe take the wind out of Marvel's sails a little bit. And that corporate thinking, I don't think, helped things. No, no. Uh, but I, I do. Before I, someone in the comments rips our heads off, uh, it should also be noted that BVS was announced first, and Captain America three was not always going to be Civil War. Mm-hmm. Uh, Civil uh, yeah, War. Yeah, no, was no, definitely. But there after, was that. Yeah. There was that whole kerfuffle where they were both going to be on the same day. Oh yeah, no, that would have been awesome. Uh, but I'm willing to bet that someone on the ground knew what Marvel was up to. <laughs> I'm willing to bet. Just because, honestly, because also the, the, that's the thing where when you hear the plot points, how like it, the DC might have involved time travel to stop Dark Side. Like it's very similar to what we ended up getting recently with Marvel, you know? Oh, it's, it's scarily like, similar. Even Civil War has like scary similarities. There, there's already people going like. Oh, clearly they're stealing these ideas. And it's like, no, the ideas weren't just out there also. Yeah. But also, like, the way these movies are made, that's just, like, not even mm-hmm. possible. But to me, it's just incredibly disappointing because I I honestly thought at some point, I put together, I was like, maybe he's doing a retelling. I think this is what I honestly, I thought Zack Snyder was doing a retelling of the Book of Revelations, but with superheroes. And that's why Superman was going to come back as evil, because, you know, Jesus is supposed to come back as a lion, not a lamb. You know, there's that whole mm. thing. Yeah. And then there's, like, you know, you're supposed to, there's, like, the seven churches of Asia, I think, that have to reunite. So there's, like, you know, they unite the seven. And I, it, it just, it made sense to me, <laughs> especially with all, with the how biblically crazy Zack Snyder is. Um, And... Then to just hear what is leaked out, which is basically like, oh, they would have just done these things and then met like the Green Lantern Corps. Like there was no like there was no like thematic thing to it, you know. Mm-hmm. That was incredibly disappointing to me. Because then it's just like, oh, it really is just they they're not really thinking about it that much. <laughs> Here's the thing, I think that's just the way Zack Snyder goes about all of his films. 
And along the way, intentional or otherwise, he does manage to create some sort of like emotional or thematic through line for all of his his works. Because BVS really is just kind of a bunch of plot points strung together, but it's strung together by really solid ideas, I find. And ideas about how even people in their darkest times can find a light at the end of the tunnel and be better, you know, like with the help of other people or with each other, you know, for each other. And I, I think at the end of the day, that's why Snyder was, or he was going to retroactively at least try to show that these films had to start on this really dark soil so they can get to like that sunny green grass on the other side of the hill, so to speak. I wonder if all this proves that ultimately capitalism will win we're all gonna die uh you know what given that this actually never happened it could go either way man things aren't good things are things are just so bad what i do want to end on is that uh the dcu has restructured superman uh is alive technically but really we're not going to see another superman movie for a long time uh batman is is getting worked on by matt reeves and it will take place in the 90s. Wonder Woman is still going. That's strong. already a mist. Once I heard that, I know they're fucked. That Batman's taking place in the 90s? Yeah, it's fucked. Uh, I like Wonder Matt Reeves. So. I like Matt Reeves, but that movie's fucked. They didn't learn anything. We'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Um, uh, things things persevere. Th- things go on for better and for worse. Uh, and I, I think there's How just some. Fuck. How the fuck can Batman take place in the 90s? Oh, I don't know. I, I wish what they'd the... stop putting them in real lifetime periods is all. Yeah. Well, that, Wonder Woman makes more sense, but like you could do historic adventures with Wonder Woman. Like, that'd be cool. But like the DC universe isn't doesn't take place on Earth. <laughs> but I, I don't know. This even after everything. Uh, I still find myself feeling really good about this Batman retrospective, even after this mess of a recording and and movie. I don't know. I just it feels good right now. I feel very good about this. Sure, there it is. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm sorry. I'm not. Not a happy camper. Not even because of the movie. It's just life in general. <laughs> no, yeah, of course. But, like, I'm trying not to talk about that right now. I'm trying to... Listen, trying to I'm, I'm, optimistic listen virgins, wake the fuck up. You're gonna go to war. That son of a bitch brought the war to us. You know you can't win this. It's suicide. The greatest gladiator match in the history of the world. Son of Krypton versus Bat of Gotham. You're psychotic. That is a three-syllable word for any thought too big for little minds. <gasps> Matt, thank you for joining me. I know this was difficult. Uh, initially, where would the people find you? I'm at EmperorOTN at Twitter.com, YouTube, and on Patreon. And you can find me at Twitter.com slash the Diego Crespo. Check out the rest of the Waffle Press on YouTube, SoundCloud, iTunes, uh, don't forget to check out the Patreon, where you can help us make the show sound even better, and we can do it more regularly, hopefully. Uh, check out everything down below as well. There's other links to things we probably mentioned, and that picture. I believe the, the, the picture that was foreshadowing the events of the rest of the Justice League arc was also um, 
uh, all proceeds went to suicide prevention. Uh, if that link is still up, I'll put it down below too. So thank you everyone for listening. Thanks for watching. Like and subscribe. If you didn't like this, like and subscribe anyways, because you might find something you do like. We have been professionally unprofessional. If man won't kill God, the devil will do it. What have you done? Yeah.